Welcome to the Stickers on the Mic podcast brought to you by StickerGiant.com, where we talk with our customers about how they started their business, how they're marketing their brand, and how they're growing their company. Without further ado, it's time for the Stickers on the Mic podcast from StickerGiant. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Stickers on the Mic. Andrew, as always, a pleasure to be here today. We're dialing in Mikey Latner from Project Camp. Mikey, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So Project Camp, this is a very positive thing for kids. I want to you know, let you tell the story of how Project Camp uh, came to be, and then we'll talk more about where you come from and what you all are doing. But just give us the lay of the land, how Project Camp started. Yeah, definitely. So um, in Project Camp, we provide care for children, support for families, and resiliency for communities, um, really revolve, centering around providing care for children in disasters, mostly natural disasters, um, responding to natural disasters with free trauma-informed pop-up day camps, and then also organizing and preparing communities to be able to provide for children and families. Uh, and this came about actually because uh, so I grew up at summer camp, was a camp director for a little over a decade. Uh, and it was actually um, as a camp director that I responded with a group of camp directors to Hurricane Harvey in Houston in 2017. And it was really in response to closure of schools. Um, they, we had a community um, based in Houston at the time uh, and we asked how we could help. And they were like, the school is closed. Like there's a real need for childcare. And so hmm. we went down and popped up this very large day camp. Um, and for me, it became a real eye-opener of something that I had experience and a skill set in being in this tool, being used in a totally different way to be able to meet kids um, in their time of need and need and by extension supporting their their families and their communities. Yeah. I- some folks who listen to the show regularly might know, but I, I too was a camp director and camp counselor, and that has been a big part of my life. And that's why this story jumped out at me. But it's novel, like you said, that you're popping up and doing day camp programs. But I presume that you also are trying to, that that was the first time. Now you're creating more of a business organization. How have you started carrying that mission forward and trying to scale it? And also disasters, you can never know when they're going to happen. Right? Definitely. Well, a tidbit about that was to say, first off, there is actually a, a surprising amount of overlap of folks in, the, in, in emergency management who have camp experience. And I think that actually comes from the fact that like camp and youth spaces in general, like we are constantly updating, editing, things break, we fit, like we have to fix and the plan changes. And that's like a natural, that's a natural space for that I feel like is for me as a camp director. And so um, we pop up camp and understanding how camp can be an inherently supportive therapeutic um, vehicle. And we can talk a bit more about the ACE study, which really roots um, a lot of why camp works. Um, but that's a really how like the, um, the, the camp component of like seeing it in action, like really sort of like starts to shine through. Hmm. Interesting. So, well, yeah, let's do that. What, what do you, will the study say how camp is, is therapeutic? How, like, cause that kind of then informs your entire mission and, and the plan for your business. Right. So what is it about camp that, that is so powerful? Exactly. So, so to answer your original question, like it's, the, it's really the like organizing and preparation work that where that really starts to come through, but it, it, we start with camp because so the adverse childhood experience study, which was put, put on by the CDC and Kaiser from 2011 pinned together experiencing extreme events like natural disaster, but also other forms of um, extreme events, structural racism, poverty, all of these things that we know have long-term effects, pinning them with lifelong physical, mental, emotional um, effects um, and how that has long-term negative outcomes. It also presented really clear cut mechanisms for mitigating that toxic stress and 
ultimately helping to mitigate trauma. Um, and a lot of that is around creating a sense of agency, um, building meaningful relationships. Um, and when you start to tick down this list of like how, um, how to do that, for me, coming from a camp space, I see things that happen at camp. You know, camp is an inherently intentional space that's designed around kids to provide space that's unique to kids to allow them to process and to grow. And so bridging the gap between um, how camp has a positive impact on kids and on the staff that work there and moving that into the disaster responses space is actually a, a lot shorter than we think. So we, you know, you can see it in our volunteers. We don't teach folks to work with kids for the first time, but we create pathways for members of the community, like teachers, camp counselors, um, teens and young adults with babysitting or after school care experience um, to be able to do this work in a trauma-informed manner. And so we're playing with the levers and dials around this inherently like youth-centered space to make it move faster so that we can get it up and running in places where it isn't in a disaster to um, really focus on the mechanisms that help to mitigate those long-term toxic toxic stress exposures. Um, and it's really the organizing and preparation work outside of disasters. That's um, the soapbox that we're really standing on to refocus disaster response away from being heavily militarized and strength-based to being something that's about caring for mental health, that's taking into account the needs of children and families. And COVID has really highlighted, I think, a big component of this. And we all saw in real time how crucial schools were and childcare were, not were, are to our economies, our communities, our society. Uh, and this is an extension of that same conversation. Totally. Yeah. Um, so I want to get, we'll circle back to the business side of things a little bit because you've had to create a structure to operate, et cetera. There's, of course, working with kids comes with some, some uh, hurdles and, you know, you just got to jump through those hoops, so to speak. But um, I want to kind of bring it to the here and now. You, you just are kind of, we're, well, when we tried to set this up, you're in the middle of a project. So what was the project camp that was popped up in the last, and talk a little bit about the most recent experience that you all have had. Yeah, absolutely. So we were just recently in New Mexico for um, the Calf Canyon Hermit's Creek Fire, um, which is now the largest wildfire in New Mexico state history. Right. Um, and we went, we actually worked with um, New Mexico's um, Children, Youth and Families Division, um, we worked with state and county emergency management. We actually worked with um, a camp out outside of Santa Fe called Gloriette Adventure Camps, mm -hmm. um, which at the time was housing a big portion of the evacuated population. We were able to actually set up camp there. And so folks who had been evacuated had a ready to go child care option there. We work with kids ages six through 16. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we, you know, we, we did this one very quickly. We set up camp within about 48 hours. And so we were, you know, on Monday putting things together and opened the doors for camp on Wednesday morning. Wow. And so how long were you there then? Uh, we were there. We ran for a full two weeks. Holy cow. Um, yeah. And that was kind of in line with when schools were, were closed, like, yeah. um, but also um, folks' ability to like be able to go back to their homes. You know, I think yeah. what is really important about what we do is that like we pop up really quickly so that we can be there when people need us. Um, and when people are able to go back to go back home when childcare, um, regular childcare opportunities like school um, turn back on, that that's where we want kids to be. And so we can turn it off then um, in response to that. Nice. Like helping to bridge the gap for communities and provide that continuity of care. Interesting. Um, 
Yeah. Well, and we've, that was a big news around here in Colorado because we were, you know, in, not impacted specifically, but it's all in the region and, and mm-hmm. a lot, lot of confluence in, you know, Southern Colorado, Northern New Mexico. Um, so it's a volunteer, you know, like you're, you're really basing this on a lot of volunteers, but you do have a team, you have a board, you know, there's a whole, whether it's board of director, board of advisors, mm-hmm. how did you come to structure this organization and, and how do all these people then help this group further that mission? Definitely. So we're uh, like, we really rely on community-based volunteers for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that they are, they provide like a level of cultural competency with being members of the community that you simply can't get by flying in staff or volunteers. Um, and when we were working in New Mexico, um, we had staff from CYFD, other members of the community who in many cases knew the kids, certainly knew the area where the kids were from. And that's, um, you know, that creates a level of not just cultural competency, but empathy that you can't mimic, you know, folks who are also experiencing the same disaster, uh, whether they're evacuated or not, but there's something really meaningful in that understanding. Um, and so we prioritize bringing in, um, local volunteers, which we background train and vet as any good youth organization. I would say for us, like, because we work with kids, all that for us needs to be platinum standard. Like we spend a good amount of time on how we train and how we vet vet volunteers and staff because they're working with kids. Parents are trusting us with the thing that's actually the most important to them in a time of like great upheaval. And it's important that we are, we are able to do this right. 100% of the time. Um, as far as board staff advisory boards, and we have collected, um, I'd say we really do straddle this like interesting gap space between emergency management and summer camp into the, like we have learned to code switch between the two and we've Mm -hmm. actually learned where there's a lot of overlap. Um, and so our our staff, our advisory boards are really experts in the field in pulling from these two areas. So that we're able to run. Um, sorry, it's my dog barking. It's okay. Um, it's, dogs are part of life. Part of life. Yeah. <laughs> but so that we're able to really run an amazing day camp, an amazing yeah. trauma-informed day camp inside of this rapidly changing environment that is the evacuations of a you know natural disaster. So, you know, there, especially you you said you're based in LA. Um, you know, California has quite a lot of wildfires and, and disasters. And and again, we don't know where the next one is, but we have a pretty good idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just with the patterns of weather and seasons in America. Um, so, I mean, you, you, you say all the planning is ready to go, so you can just sort of pop it up pretty fast. You, your model works, like you said. Um, how do you then get the word out? I mean, you got a pretty cool logo. It kind of jumps out at me. I like that. Thanks. So you have some good design going, but like, what is then the outreach to get people to click that donate button so that you can continue? That's the growth side, I guess, and the business side of this. Like, how how does this then scale to a place where it's still a nonprofit, but it also can do more? Yeah, I mean, we, so from logistics, a logistics perspective and a values-based perspective, we um, money's not the barrier to entry. So we don't provide, we don't require parents to pay to send their kids to camp. We don't charge communities to have us pop up. We do a ton of fundraising from individuals, from community foundations, um, from local state government prior to, during and after disaster to make sure that money's not the barrier to entry. And that actually really links again, back to the ACE study, you know, the each County in, in California has an ACE index or an adverse childhood experience index score. Um, and that, 
one of the things that that just shows that like ACEs tend to be higher in areas where they're that are low income, that are rural mm-hmm. in our communities of color. And so if money is going to be the barrier to entry to getting work done in those high priority communities, it's not, that's the where the breakdown is going to be. So mm-hmm. us doing the fundraising ahead of time. And we really do rely on that donation to those donations to make it possible for us to do this work. Um, it means then also our partners on the ground can be experts in the room in their community. So like when we work with a school district, the school can provide us the space. They can help, um, you know, grab teacher volunteers who can help work with our kids, but they can do what they do best. And we can be a pathway for them to be able to be involved. When we were in Reno during the Calder fire last year, um, our friends at World Central Kitchen helped us connect Mm. to a local restaurant that and paid for them to turn their catering business on to feed our campers and our staff it was hundred meals a day for, for two weeks. Um, it's, a, it created a way for that restaurant, a member of the community to be part of the solution to support those children by extension, of the family and the communities. And so that's, that's really how we visit. We envision camp in, in a much larger sense is that we can be this pathway for community to be involved in this very specific way. Nice. Yeah, no, we've done some world kitchen stuff too, uh, here. So that's cool. Like, and they're always in all these disasters uh, in the last few years, pretty high profile, which is cool. Definitely. Um, you know, back to like sort of the ongoing thing, like you said, there there are some of these indicators off this study, for instance, that are not tied to disasters. They're just tied to everyday life. They're tied to the the institutions that have shaped America in, into what it is, for better or for worse. So you are then able to go into communities that that could use a camp for kids for a certain time period. It doesn't have to be tied to a disaster is what you're saying too. For uh, we, for us, we really do focus on disaster, but I think okay. what you're highlighting really is, um, really is kind of the crux of it. You know, it allows us, uh, like it allows us to be experts in the room on what we do, but we are highlighting a, a problem that we are, we already know exists on a much larger level. Like there already is a dearth of childcare options. There's a dearth, dearth of investment in childcare. There's a dearth of investment in childcare providers. Um, and on, I mean, to be very explicit on salaries paid to those who work in those care in that part of our care economy and, and education. Right. Um, and so, yeah, like in a lot of spaces, we're, we are the first summer camp that kids have ever seen. Um, right. And our hope is to work with organizations, work with local camps, American Camp Association, to be able to provide, to help make that not so, to be able to provide space for kids to be able to go to camp after we've gone, with they, once they've had this experience. Um, but it does highlight how that's, that all of those, all of that lack of investment, the need for us to focus on and invest in childcare and in education and in the folks that do that work. Nice, yeah. So, you know, you've been doing this for about four years now, roughly. It looks like you guys started about in 2018, right? Mm-hmm. So it was before the pandemic, right? Like a lot of a lot of recent stories I've had, it's a lot of pandemic era people. Fair, uh, yeah, but totally. you, you know, you have been doing this for, you know, 10 plus years. Um, and what in the last four years, though, especially I think there's always been the campsite and, and that mm-hmm. is really special. And I have a lot of nostalgia myself, especially as we kick off into summer. And I think about the lessons. Camp. Camp, yeah. yeah. And it's like and you think about all the lessons and there's a lot of those, you know, initiative and and self-confidence and, and aptitude or, or whatever it is that you can instill in kids. Maybe it's a specific skill. I learned how to shoot an arrow or I learned how to row boat, whatever, you know, this is kind of less around that summer camp gauziness of it. It's very specific, but how, you know, in four years, 
how have you, well, if you could go back four years ago and say, all right, this is where we're going to end up with this. How, what would that look like? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think one thing that was a consistent through line from then until now um, that I, I think I even under like underestimated was how um, we really rely on like what the core of campus and that like really intentional space. Um, so we, you know, we don't have archery and we don't have a pool. Uh, we don't have a ropes course. We do, we do a lot of the things that like you teach teens and young adults who are always working at camp for the first time to be able to do with kids. It's a lot of like how to facilitate small groups, how to lead games, how to like, how to think on your feet. We play, you know, we play a ton of duck, duck, goose and four square and gaga ball. And it's a lot of sidewalk chalk and we're out running around and there's like, um, that is really like the core of where it is. You know, there's in the disaster response space, I will say um, this, I didn't expect as much. There is a lot of donating stuff. Yeah. Um, and our equipment needs are, like I said, kind of minor. You know, we can run a great game of four square with some like blue tape on the ground or some sidewalk chalk and a playground ball. Um, and you'd be surprised how, like how occupied you can keep kids no, in that I, kind of space and how much my money kids you can have with just that. in the driveway. They love it. Right. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. So I guess that's kind of what I was getting at in a really roundabout way. There's like this physical place of a camp that a lot of people have their nostalgia for, but really the lasting things are is that interior life that you can instill into kids in a way that it's not a skill like a hard skill of tying a knot or climbing a wall, but there's this like how to really, this interpersonal soft skill. It all comes from time. Yeah. It's all time spent. And I think that's the thing that we, we really focus on is that like we're providing a space where people are intentionally spending time with kids at this really difficult time. And it helps give them an outlet and connection to friends and and a language around what's happening. We have um, one of the things we do is we call it a meat check, the mental emotional check. It's actually a really simple one to 10 scale, but it allows kids to self-assess and allows them to talk about what's happening um, around them, the things that they're hearing in real time in a way that doesn't, that's not judgmental, that's not meant to like force them to sit, to share, but that's really meant to create just like space for kids to be able to express. Um, I think we under, we sometimes underestimate like how much, especially little kids are hearing what's going on and thinking and processing what's happening, especially in this disaster space, like they, they are absorbing all of it. Um, and they can articulate all of it in their own ways, but like they can articulate all of it. And so we are providing space for that to like, we're providing two, two kinds of spaces. One is space for parents to be able to do what they need to do, um, and be supported with childcare. And another is a space for kids to be able to, um, share with other kids and with us, um, how they're seeing and, and experiencing what's going on around them. And I think I understood at the beginning of this, that is like a kind of thing that camp does. And that's what draws me to it. Um, and I was very pleasantly surprised, like how quickly a six-year-old can, or you know, an eight, 10, 12, you know, like how quickly a kid can understand that and get there. And it's because they recognize that space. That's like, I think that's one of the really important pieces about creating a space that's unique to kids is that it allows them to thrive because they know how this operates. They know we go to activities, we go in a group. Um, we, they know that like there are regular intervals. They know we have check-in at the beginning of the day and that they'll see their parents later on at the end of the day. Um, that sense of safety and routine is inherently like removes, starts to lower the amount of stress that our kids are feeling in these moments. Yeah. The director, when I was, 
growing up and the going through the program of leadership training, it was always, you know, structure leads to freedom right? That was the mantra. And I try to still honor that with my kids a little bit. It's tough. It's, it's tough when you're a parent, but, you know, even as a teacher myself, you know, that, that structure, as soon as they're safe and they feel like they can succeed, then they, they have the freedom to do that. And that's pretty positive. Um, my last thing, sort of, you know, thinking about the kids and the, and the volunteers, especially when you're dealing with trauma, there's that baggage that you bring into it, but then there's the sort of the baggage you take out, what you carry with you, right? How is it for you and for the people you're working with to that processing too, because that you don't get to stay and be with these people forever. And you know that there will be lasting effects. How do you sort of manage all of that and the expectations for people to, you know, that seems really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A couple of ways. You know, one is that we, so we're trauma informed. We're not mental health care professionals, but we're training folks who work with kids to be able to to understand and to do this work in a trauma informed way in this environment. And so part of what we're doing is, um, going back to the ACE study is helping to lower the risk and mitigate the, like what, what sticks around those long-term effects. Part of it is also, um, being able to focus on the good, you know, we, we focus on the positivity of the day. And that's really what, that's a lot of what camp is like camp yeah. is a fun space. Kids have to learn to be kids in this way. That's like, it's different. It gets, um, it's not like school where they have like we're like the, a specific kind of work. Their work at camp is to be a kid. Um, part of it also is linking up to community resources that are going to be there long-term. It's connecting with boys and girls club and with mental health professionals in the, in the area that we can plug in that are, that are doing that long-term recovery work. I think that's where we re- really see ourselves as outsiders in a community being supportive to the community. Like in New Mexico, we were able to connect with, um, a couple of child therapists in the area to be able to um, connect them with some of the parents um, of kids we wanted to, we wanted to keep an eye on to be able to work with um, you know the Santa Fe Children's Museum and some other like youth serving organizations in the area to be able to do work not just at camp in this acute environment to be able but knowing that 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 our group exists and knowing that those kids are going to be need those resources long term that's like where we're really tapping into um, and elevating. And I think that's where the investment needs to happen in, um, the community-based organizations that are doing that. They're holding up children and helping our children grow prior to disaster. They're going to be there during, and they're going to be there afterwards. Also, that's where we need to focus. Right. That's amazing. Love some of these quotes from the parents on your site, you know, uh, it's really motivating and inspiring. And hopefully that folks who are listening to this, you know, you check out projectcamp.co.co. Um, they are, of course, on all the socials. Mikey, we really appreciate what you're doing. We appreciate, you know, the stickers that you're handing out and sharing with everybody, too. That's really amazing. Um, but I love to see the kids and the parents, you know, getting a sense of um, stability and also positivity in what clearly is a very difficult time. So we thank you for that. Hey, I really appreciate that. It's uh, a lot of fun, meaningful work. I can imagine. Uh, we'll keep doing the good work. Everybody out there in uh, Podcast Land, thank you for checking in. As always, please check out projectcamp.co and uh, try to do anything you can in your community. That's always very important. We say on the show, every sticker has a story. Today's story, of course, is Project Camp. Mikey, again, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I hope the summer is productive, eventful, but in a way that is also hopefully (laughs) safe for everybody involved, right? So um, thank you. Yeah, thank you. 
that wraps up this episode of Stickers on the Mic, brought to you by StickerGiant.com. You can download us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcatcher. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please leave us a review. It helps us reach new listeners and share our customer sticker stories. And if you're inspired to create your own stickers or labels, head over to StickerGiant.com to check out our options and use the coupon PODCAST to take 20% off your first item. Thanks again for listening to Stickers on the Mic.